you will take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew as we seek to look at this Savior. Don't you love that song? She asked me, did I think it was a good song? I said, I've been listening to that song for the last two weeks. Love that song. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. As we close out this year, I want to spend our next three gatherings in Matthew this morning, Christmas Eve, and then Christmas morning in the Gospel of Matthew. We, last week as we were closing out Luke uh, for this year, um, we saw the transformation of Matthew. You saw that when God calls a sinner, he comes and there's a transformation that takes place. We saw Matthew, who was a sinful tax collector, transformed into a faithful follower of Christ who goes on to become this apostle, one of the twelve, and then to write one of the four Gospels, accounts of Jesus Christ. And so, as we are going to kind of focus in this morning, the next three gatherings on Christmas, I want us to look at his Gospel and his account of the birth of Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is, is I want you to see the glorious truths of the virgin birth. And so we'll be three parts of the glorious truths of the virgin birth uh, this morning. And so I want you to look with me, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. And let us read this amazing passage. He writes, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus in 2016, a pastor that I would not ever recommend you to ever listen to, Andy Stanley, made some astonishing claims concerning his view of the virgin birth. Since then, he's made some very heretical claims. But I remember that in 2016, what he had said was something that kind of sparked a conversation, much like this past year of, do we have church on Christmas morning or not? Well, absolutely, we have church on Christmas morning. But in 2016, this is what Andy Stanley said concerning the virgin birth. And I want you just to hear what he's doing here. And what I think so many pastors and so many um, Christians have done over time. We've, we've, we've just lessened the word of God. Listen to what he says. He says a lot of people just don't believe it. Talking about the virgin birth. 
And I understand that. It's interesting because Matthew gives us a version of the birth of Christ. Luke does, but Mark and John, they don't even mention it. And, it, and a lot has been made of that. So before we jump in, I just want to say one thing about the whole thing. If somebody could predict their own death and their own resurrection, I'm not all that concerned about how they got into the world, about their birth. Because the whole resurrection thing is so amazing and uh, so wonderful. Christianity does not hinge on the truth or even the stories around the birth of Jesus. It hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Beloved, let me say this, that the church fathers throughout history would say otherwise. Matter of fact, I read this morning that Irenaeus would have told us that if you do not believe the virgin birth, then you do not receive the gift of Christ of eternal life. Beloved, the idea that the virgin birth, that, it is, that, we're even, that we would even discuss and that a preacher would even say from the pulpit that somehow, or, and by the way, virgin birth, we really mean the virgin conception, but the virgin conception, the virgin birth, that somehow it is less than, not as important in, Christian, in the Christian faith, or Christianity does not hinge on the birth of Christ, that is absurd. In fact, I know this, that every door in my house has more than one hinge. Every door has more than one hinge. In fact, we see that our salvation and our faith in God, Christianity itself, rises and falls not only with the resurrection, but also on the hinge of the virgin birth of Christ. The incarnation that God would become man, that he is 100% man and he is 100% God. And so today I want to, to look through Matthew and I want us to examine his account on the glorious truths, plural, of the virgin birth. I want to look at three. This morning, we're going to look at the power of God displayed through the virgin birth. Next week, we're going to look at the love of God, which is displayed through the virgin birth. And then on Christmas morning, I want us to look at the faithfulness of God displayed through the virgin birth. But for this morning, I want us to look at His power. And so here become, here, here's the big idea today. The big idea is that the virgin birth displays the power of God, listen to this, to bring forth salvation. You, you cannot disconnect this from the resurrection because it, it displays the power of God to bring forth our salvation. And so my hope is, is that your faith, as we walk through this, will be strengthened and that it will become a doctrinal conviction for you. And that you will gather, that you will see that this is going to strengthen my faith in all other areas of life and that it is essential for my salvation. And so there are only two headings this morning that I want us to look at. I want you to see this morning the power of God displayed through the virgin birth. And then we're going to turn and look at the power of God applied from the, uh, from the virgin birth. All right, the power of God displayed and the power of God applied. Look with me again in verse 18 through 20 as we look at the display of it. Notice what he says. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Notice this. Do not miss this, because he's going to say it twice. By the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For this child, again, notice what he says, for this child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, Matthew wastes no time in drawing our attention. 
very much like a small town rumor. Everything begins to, you know, when you hear something, you just automatically, you're drawn in. You begin to recognize something's not right here. We see that Mary, a young Jewish girl, is betrothed. She's pledged. She's been arranged to marry Joseph, this Jewish carpenter. But immediately we begin to see here that Joseph is not the father of this child. Mary is pregnant. They have not consummated the, the, the uh, marriage yet. They are in the betrothal part, which is a legal thing. This is the reason why he has to divorce her. It is a legal arrangement, but the wedding ceremony and the consummation has not taken place. And so therefore, here we are. Mary is only a few months away or a year away from marrying Joseph, and she is found to be with a child. This is a scandal. Something is, something is going on here, but, Mark, uh, but Matthew wants us to notice that this is not Joseph's child and that Mary herself has not been unfaithful. For he says twice in this passage, in these three verses, we are told that this is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 and 20. Matthew wants us to see the role that the Holy Spirit played in this. He wanted Joseph to see the role so much that God sent, God sent an angel to Joseph that he would let him know the origins, the source of this child. That this is not of man, but that this is supernatural. That this is Jesus, the preexistent, the eternal Son of God, the one who has always been, who has no beginning and no end. This is how he comes into the world how he takes on flesh, his incarnation, which leads us to ask a very important and very valuable question this morning. How does this even work? How, how does this even work that we would ask this question of how, how, did, how in the world does God, who is, who is eternal, take on flesh? Well, I, I do, we must look at something just in Luke chapter 1, uh, 1 verse 34 to 38. Let me just read this to you this morning to kind of get an understanding. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? So the angel comes to her, says the same thing. You're going to have a child. This is Christ. This is our God. He's going to come. And this is the Messiah. And so she says, how can this be? Verse 35, the angel answered and he said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For this reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And we saw this back in the spring. And I want to remind you of that word overshadow. That this word speaks of divine, supernatural power and presence of God. It is the divine influence of God in covering something or covering someone. We see it in the very beginning of time. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. We see it in Exodus chapter, verse, chapter 40, verse 34. The cloud, the presence of God covered the tent of meeting and the glory of God filled. It came into the tabernacle. Just as the cloud overshadowed the tabernacle, just as God resided inside the tabernacle, so now God the Son will reside in the womb of this young woman. And by the influencing power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, He will take on flesh through the gestation period, through that nine-month period of the child being in the womb. We call this the incarnation of Christ. It is the act of being made flesh. It comes from the Latin version of John 1.14. Uh, the English reads it this way, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
This is God eternal becoming flesh. And so now you have the Son of God who always existed, taking on flesh and becoming the Son of Man. And as you and I sit here, we, we, we look at this and we're, we're blown away by this. How can this even be? You've got to imagine that Mary told Joseph of the angel's visit. You've got to imagine that, that when Joseph probably was a little upset and heartbroken, if not even angry, and Mary said, whoa, wait a minute, Joseph, let me tell you what happened. And so Joseph goes and considers all this, and he says, there is no way that this is possible. And so therefore, he's going to divorce this young woman. And then the angel visits him in a dream. In the same way that I believe that Joseph himself was confronted with how in the world can we comprehend such a miracle? How can we comprehend such power? Oh, beloved, we are reminded in verse 37 of Luke 1, for nothing is impossible with God. Or another translation, a better translation would be, for no word of God can fail. No word from God can fail. In other words, the power of God cannot be comprehended And that it does whatever it wants to do. It cannot be hindered in any way. And what we have here is nothing short of what we would call a phenomenon. Not just a miracle, not just a sign or a wonder. This is is what we would call a phenomenon. And there's only a, a few of these throughout Scripture. But there's really only two others beside this one that are in comparison. Or some would even maybe consider greater. But that are in the top three. You have the virgin birth. You have the creation of the world, and you have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, all three hinges in which our faith rises and falls with. These three works are the highest display of God's power in the world, in all of history. FBC, I must plead with you this morning that you see and recognize the importance of the virgin birth and the power of God that is in it and why it should mean so much to us. I I would plead with you today that you do not disregard the virgin birth, that this is not something that you only think about and you are only convicted about at the end of the year, that that when Christmas is over, you put it away in your nice little box and you put it in your attic and you never think about it again and it has it has no influence in your life. This is a doctrinal conviction that we are to hold on to day by day by day. This is one that we fight over. This is one that we die on. This is that hill in which we are willing to go to war with that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin because it displays the power of God and to deny and to disregard the virgin birth to only make it a a Christmas seasonal theme oh beloved it weakens it speaks light of the power of God it blows my mind that anybody would think less of the virgin birth because it means to think less of God heed the warning not to doubt the power of God in the virgin birth beloved this is a warning to you and I today we we have a we have a very bad problem in our culture in Christianity right now it's called deconstructing your faith and what we are seeing is as many people who were brought up in the church, it's really just called unbelief, but we want to give it some type of philosophical, psychological term, but it's really just unbelief that's always been there. It's, it's the epistle of John that those who went out from us were never of us. 
But we call it deconstructing your faith, where, where all of a sudden we begin to deconstruct those beliefs that we've always held on to. I would encourage you and urge you this morning that you stand firm on this truth. To be faithful to believe the teaching of this. Why? Because doubt is like leaven. It always grows. Just as a little leaven and a whole lump will grow and it will infest and it will, it will rise the doubt that we have when we begin to question and not to believe the teaching of God's Word will begin to grow and grow until it finds its fruit in unbelief. You start doubting the virgin birth, before long you will begin to doubt even the resurrection. And we can even say this true. Again, again I, I bring up, I use Andy Stanley. We can say this true. 2016, you know, the virgin birth means nothing to me. By 2020, he has already told us the Old Testament means nothing to us. You can unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. He, there, there's just over, over and over, we see these things of how the doubt and the, and the unbelief of certain parts of God's word begins to grow. There's a warning here, beloved, that if you begin to choose certain things to believe and certain things not to believe, eventually, Eventually, you will find yourself believing none of Scripture. Heed the warning this morning. But also, may I encourage you to heed the display of power in this? Faith in the virgin birth should strengthen not only my faith in, in the birth of Christ, but in all other aspects. Faith in the virgin birth should, should increase my faith in God. It should increase my faith in the resurrection. It should increase my faith in the healing power of God and the the power to be people. Beloved, this increases my faith and my walk with Christ day by day. Do you not deal with sickness? Do you not deal with the physical hindrances of life and you yourself seek the Lord and you pray to God and you ask of God, God, I'm struggling with cancer. I'm struggling with these these weaknesses, these physical limitations. And so where does the power come that I may get up every morning and attend uh, to attend to the business of the day or every Sunday morning and attend church week after week when my own body is powerless and my own body is failing? Do you not look to the power of God? Oh, to question the power of God in the virgin birth would question his power to keep you, to help you in times of weakness. Or what about to keep you in times of spiritual drought and tribulation? Do we not sing the hymn, He will hold me fast? That when my faith may fail, I look to and lean upon the power of God to keep me faithful, to keep me going even when spiritually I am struggling, that he would keep me to the very end and that I may endure even the worst of persecution that this world may bring. Does this not encourage and strengthen our faith that God can save? We'll see this in just a moment, that he can redeem the souls of those that he loves. Does this not strengthen my faith that God will restore? What hope do I have of eternity? What hope do I have of this world that there will be a new heaven and a new earth? That this world is fallen, that that is fallen, that it is by the power of God that he will make a new heaven and a new earth in which we will live with him forever. Oh, I would encourage you this morning that you would meditate on the virgin birth. Not, Not disregard it, but meditate on it. 
Stand upon it and let it fuel and strengthen your faith and bring comfort to you and bring joy, not only in a Christmas season, but to bring joy day by day by day. Witness the power of God in doing the very impossible of bringing Christ into the world. But secondly, I want you to notice the power of God applied. What I mean by this is, how does this apply to us? If we're going to talk about the power of God in the virgin birth, how does it apply to us and our faith? Why, why is the virgin birth so significant to me? Why should I not disregard this? And how does it kind of work itself out in day-to-day living? Simply because, beloved, it, is, it makes salvation possible. It makes salvation possible. Notice verse 21. For Matthew writes, he says in he, that the angel said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, the angel is very clear why Jesus is being born. Salvation. Saving us from what? Saving us from sin. We'll look at more of this in, on Christmas Eve, but, but just according here to Scripture, we, we understand and we know through the Old Testament teachings, that what we read all the way from, from Genesis to, to the end, we understand that our world is plagued with sin. And we know that the only way to bring about the forgiveness of sin is that there has to be a sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 tells us, is Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood by death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we see this from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis, where, where, where Adam, even before he sins, God tells him, he says, he says, I'm giving you this one law, and you eat of this tree. If you break this law, you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And we know that death reigns. We know in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that death is the consequence of sin, for the wage of sin is death. But out of God's grace and mercy, he provided a substitute in our place. You see, unfortunately, the sacrifices that we see all through the Old Testament, this is what it teaches us, these, that there was these sacrifices that were made. Even Adam and Eve who sinned in the garden, there was animals who were slain. They are covered by these animals that they may be able to continue to live. We see this all the way through the Old Testament over and over and over again. The blood of an animal is spilt to bring about the forgiveness, to bring about the appeasement of God's wrath, only if it was just for a moment. For Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1-4 through 4 says that the blood of bulls and goats can never truly atone for the sins of God's people those sacrifices were never enough because they weren't powerful enough they weren't great enough and we know that no man no woman could ever be a sacrifice on our behalf no person could because they're sinful they're broken just like we are and so this becomes the this becomes the beauty of the virgin birth and the power by which god brings forth christ the omnipotent power of god unites deity and humanity in one person into one sacrifice. Jesus is both man and God. Matthew tells us this. He tells us that Jesus was born of a mother. Like all human beings, he went through the natural process of development within the womb. He was birthed just like all humans. He developed physically like all humans. He, he developed as a child. He developed into adulthood. He had a human body, he had a human mind, he had human emotions. 
He, he had to eat, he had to drink, he had to sleep. And Jesus even died like one of us. There is no doubt that Jesus was 100% man. And yet we know that he was more than this, wasn't he? For Matthew says that this child is the Lord God himself. Did you notice what Matthew quoted there? He quoted Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He said, Behold, well, the angel quoted, Behold, the virgin shall be with the child and shall bear a son, and they shall call him, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. We know this to be true. That when the angels spoke of this, that when Christ was born, we know, as we read and we see, we know that this is what he meant, that Christ is God in flesh among his people. For Jesus did things that only God could do. He turned water into wine. He healed the sick. He had authority over the wind and the waves. He raised the dead. He himself rose from the dead. And didn't we see just a couple of weeks ago that Jesus himself did something that only God could do? He forgave the sins of a sinner. We know this to be true. That he is God. He is man, but he is God in one person. And thus the virgin birth made possible the uniting of deity and humanity. But this is not all. For the virgin birth also makes possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. Notice that Matthew tells us that Jesus' conception is not like our own. There's nothing sexual apart in any of this. Mary it does not become pregnant because of Joseph or any other person. There's nothing sexual in such as like the Greek mythologies. That's not what this is. This is God stepping out of heaven and stepping into the womb of a woman and taking on flesh. Her conception is supernatural. And by the very power of God and through this, through this miraculous phenomenon, not only does deity and humanity come together, but Jesus Christ does not inherit the sin of Adam. This is why he is called holy from birth. Unlike David who said, from my mother's womb, I am a sinner. I am wretched. And we know that this holy one is not just holy in his birth that he doesn't inherit sin. But he is holy in the fact that he would live for an entire 33 years of his life never sinning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which by the way, let me just say that, that very statement itself also displays the power of God that he never sinned, not once. But 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us that God made him Christ who knew no sin, not inherited sin, and certainly not the willful sin to be sin for us that we might become, notice this, the righteousness of God. He comes, Matthew, he comes, Joseph, to save his people. How? By being a substitute sacrifice that your sins may be forgiven and that you may be rescued by receiving his righteousness. Beloved, Jesus did not inherit Adam's sin, nor did he sin himself. 
And this is what is meant by which God, the means by which God would save his people. For, the, for in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. FPC, you must see that only an omnipotent, all-powerful God can bring humanity and deity together in one person and be completely sinless the entire time. Who after living a sinless and perfect life would offer up himself as a sacrifice. Offer up his blood shedding as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our own sins and bringing salvation to us. Jesus would be crucified on a cross paying our sin debt. Then in another act of great power he would rise from the grave. The birth and the cross are connected They are never to be separated. They are never to be pitted against one another. One greater than the other. They are both great and meaningful. Because only by the virgin birth and only by the resurrection of Christ can we be saved. And so the virgin birth reminds us that though we cannot save ourselves, It reminds us that though we are sinful and no sacrifice was ever good enough and no matter matter how many sacrifices we make for a thousand generations they will never accumulate into enough blood, righteousness, anything to save one soul. Oh beloved, we we are reminded in Christmas that though we cannot save ourselves Christ can save. I would call upon you that you would examine your heart and your belief this morning. Where does your hope in salvation lie? Does it reside in you? Does it reside in what you could do? Praise God that it did not reside in Mary and Joseph. They couldn't have produced a Savior for you. Mary said, may your will be done to me. I am your bondservant. She believed, she embraced, and she allowed, and she just said, Father, use me as you will. Many of us believe that we can work our way into heaven, that we can labor, that we can serve, we can pray enough and do enough. But the virgin birth would teach you otherwise. It teaches you the truth that only by grace of God, by grace of God alone are you saved. Examine your heart today, and if this is not your doctrine, if this is not your conviction, that, that by the power of God alone that you can find salvation and interest into eternity, I would ask that you would repent and turn from that. Return from that wicked belief, beloved, and recognize that salvation is made possible through Christ alone. And if you are someone who has falsely believed that your life is maybe even too sinful, you say that there is no power on earth that can, that can heal me of my sins, that can forgive me of my sins. Beloved, you're right. That power came from heaven, but it came to earth. And it lived amongst us, and it died for you. And he resides in heaven. He is, he is resurrected, and he has ascended in heaven. And he is praying for, for you. He is praying on our behalf. 
And here's the beauty of it. Though he was God, Emmanuel, God with us in flesh at that time, if we repent of our sins, if we turn to him in faith now, he becomes God with us, not by God in the flesh, but God the Spirit living within me, and he can live in you today. Repent of your sins and believe upon Christ. Talk with someone before you leave. We would love to help you with this. And to the church, I must add this, that this is why we do not regard, disregard the virgin birth in our preaching. We do not disregard the virgin birth in our teaching, our Sunday schools. This is why we, this is why we don't disregard the virgin birth, while we only regard it, I guess, for a season. But we should regard this throughout the year. For some of us, back in the spring, when we were walking through Luke chapter 1 and 2, it was odd for you, wasn't it? Because we only talk about this during Christmas season, don't we? It's like an ornament that we pull out and we put on the tree at a time only to put it up when the season's over with, not to think about again. Oh, church, do not disregard this because it is the power onto salvation. To remove this, to ignore this, would weaken the gospel. It's no longer the gospel. Romans 1.16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And so therefore we preach it. We tell the world that they may know the forgiveness of sin. Go and tell. Go and tell of the one who left heaven. Born of a virgin by the very power, unlimited power of God. Fully man. Fully God, 100% sinless, and who died and rose for their salvation. That if they would repent and believe, they too would be saved. Tell your family and tell your friends of the one who has the power to save them. In closing, my charge this morning to you would be this. Not to treat, it like a vir- not to treat the virgin birth like an ornament. We display it on the tree, we love it for a season, and we put it back come New Year's. My prayer for you this morning is this, that what we are reading and what we are celebrating, this is why we have Christmas on Sunday morning. This is why I don't even understand why anyone would ever miss church on Christmas morning, why anyone would ever cancel Because this is not a theme for a holiday. This is not a theme for a season. This is a conviction for eternity. This is a doctrinal conviction in which men have bled and died and given their life for, to uphold. And yet there are preachers and pastors and deacons and leaderships of churches who are fighting to cancel church on Sunday morning next week. Beloved, if that is the case, then it's not a conviction for us. We know these things to be true. And so we proclaim them year-round. In fact, we celebrate the virgin birth every Sunday that we gather. I pray that the words of George Whitfield would become your conviction and your joy. That Jesus, who was God and man in one person... Or Jesus became God and man in one person. 
was God and man one person, that God and man might be happy together again. Bow with me as we prepare for our invitation. And just as Joseph from his dream, awoke from his dream, believing the angel and doing what was asked of him, this morning I ask of you, I ask of you to consider what has been read and what has been sung this morning, what has been preached this morning, and that like Joseph you would believe and obey. Are you struggling with doubt and unbelief in your life? Well, stand firm. Fight the unbelief. Fight the doubt by strengthening your faith through the meditating on the virgin birth. Embrace it. If you're struggling in other areas, meditate on God's power in the virgin birth to bring strength and comfort to you. If you're under conviction this morning, I, I, today, I, I would ask you, if you see and know that you are lost, let these truths move you to seek forgiveness and, and faith in Christ. Seek salvation in Him. Come and let us pray with you. Let us walk with you in this. And to the church, I would urge you to never disregard this virgin birth, but to proclaim it proudly, for it is part of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that brings salvation. Let's pray.